Welcome to Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. On the show, our team of industry experts interviews contingency fee attorneys. You will discover everything from how they got started to the secrets of their success and what's working in today's marketplace. And now, here's the Case Closed Podcast. Folks, we are here for the next uh, session of Case Closed Podcast. We have Sean Malloy. Uh, the first attorney that I have interviewed who's a published author. So, Sean, first, let's talk about your book and why you wrote it and what's in it. So I wrote a book and uh, it it's called um, Run a Marathon, Not a Sprint. And so I've been practicing law since 2004. And I wrote this book. Um, really, it's supposed to be for other other lawyers, maybe just starting out or, or just starting up their own law firm. And um, I did it because I had been through it uh, maybe 12, 13 years ago. And I started off with um, just me and a laptop and a printer. I didn't even have an office. I was just meeting clients at a Starbucks. Now I have 50 employees, seven lawyers. So I, I really started from scratch, had nothing and made a lot of mistakes along the way and thought, um, you know, maybe somebody else would find this useful and maybe could learn from my mistakes and maybe not, not make all the mistakes I did along the way. So that's why I wrote the book. It's an easy, it's a hundred pages. It's got a lot of stories, um, just background about me, try to keep it light, kind of humorous and just offer, um, you know, my best advice based on my experiences to younger lawyers that may had not have any money, but may want to start their own law firm. So how many copies have you sold? <laughs> uh I can tell you I've given away maybe four or five. I mean, I've given them away. I think uh, I know my mom bought one. (laughs) Yeah, my sister bought one. Um, So, you know, I wasn't planning on. So the the publisher I used uh, got it all set up on Amazon. So you can buy copies of it. But I give them to people. You know, people come to visit me in my offices. They may see it, ask if they can have a copy of it. I, I give it to them. So, okay. What is the most interesting case you've had? Oh, God. I'm happy. I'm making you think on a Friday. Afternoon. Yeah. So I've had um, situations where I've had to sue like professional athletes or celebrities or politicians. You know, living in Washington, D.C., I've sued a couple of politicians. So long ago, well, I'll just go through them. Um, early when I was a really young lawyer, I was working at another law firm, you know, probably close to 20 years ago. I represented a woman. I'll go ahead and talk about it. It's been so long. And plus this politician's deceased. So um, she worked for the British embassy, very nice lady and got run over at a crosswalk by none other than Marion Barry, the former mayor of the district of Columbia. And this was, this was during the time when he had gotten reelected. So, you know, he had that whole, that video of him, uh, you got to be under a rock if you don't know what the oh, video Oh, yeah, no, is. I know the video. Yeah. <laughs> in a, a hotel room, uh, doing a very sordid video. Yeah. Been out of politics for a while, and then he made a comeback, and he got elected. To be able to come back from that and get elected. Um, amazing. I, yeah, amazing. I mean, who else would, you know, who accomplishes something like that? So he got reelected. And it's local D.C. politics, which I have to admit, I don't understand, even though I've lived here for so long. But anyway, so it was just it was a personal injury case, nothing special or spectacular. He wasn't 
going to be treated any worse or better, any differently than anybody else. Um, and this is when he had all the, he also had a lot of IRS problems mm-hmm. that he was in the news about uh, tax liens, not filing tax returns, owing a lot in taxes. I mean, serious IRS problems, yeah. like go to jail IRS problems. I had our investigator serve him with the lawsuit papers and he answered the door. <laughs> this is what our processor told me that he had a green mud mask on like for skin treatment, like to have your skin nice and soft. So he answered the door with a, with a green mud mask and like a towel and on his head. So that was pretty interesting that he was served appearing that way. But what I heard was that he was, he instantly, you know, he recoiled and then he took the lawsuit papers, looked at him and was relieved that it wasn't the IRS. It was just this personal injury suit. And we settled it eventually. So, and it's the biggest case you've had. So I represented, um, this is long ago. I worked at another law firm. I represented the shareholders of a sugarcane plantation on Kauai, which is um, the little island in Hawaii, the farthest mm-hmm. westerly island, and was a securities fraud lawsuit. And I was here in D.C. and we were um, we spent two years. I mean, this is the main thing I worked on for two years was this lawsuit out in Hawaii. I was just one of five lawyers working on this thing. And I was pretty young and it was interesting. And I got to, I was out there quite a bit. The trial was a month and I spent a lot of time over the two years. I was married. I didn't have any kids at the time. Um, I have two kids now, but I spent a lot of time traveling out there, traveling all around the country because the witnesses, people that we had to depose lived all over the place. Um, And it was pretty exciting to be, you know, a couple of years out of law school doing this. You know, it was it was a big deal. So what, what happened is these it's a sugarcane plantation, probably close to 200 years old. It's the biggest landholder on Kauai. And gradually over generations, the, the stock had been dissipated through many generations. So the stock was owned by lots of different family members. Some of them were very successful. Some of them, you know, it's just like any family. Some of them were not so successful. So you had a, this basket of just different personalities and um, people in this family that were becoming distantly related, not, not very close to each other anymore. Some of them were still close. So the company, you know, sugarcane is not very profitable anymore and the land is very valuable. So they got out of the sugarcane business in probably the 70s, 60s and 70s. They still produce some of it. And they got into the um, resort development business, which is a lot more lucrative. So the business was being run by a couple insiders in the family who had bought up more stock than the others. And they were um, developing some resorts and developing housing and vacation properties. And then eventually they ran into some financial trouble. They wanted to sell the business, cash out of it. So, you know, this has been in the family for many generations. So it caused a lot of um, internal conflict, and we represented one group of shareholders um, against How another. How did you end up getting? Uh, we ended up losing the trial, so <laughs> it didn't go our way. I think we ended up settling after appealing it, um, but it was a. So this was after the sale had happened, and there was um, it was the suit was about whether the seller or the buyer had some inside information and whether the the family would have voted to sell if they had known and that the value had been artificially 
deflated or driven down, I guess, and that it was actually way more valuable than it should have been. So what's but, the biggest verdict you got? Biggest verdict. Um, God, probably real estate, a trial over real estate dispute, little over 2 million. And I say over 2 million because some of what we were awarded was some equitable relief by the judge that extinguished all these easements. And then later this very valuable development was built, multi-million dollar development was built. So that was probably the most valuable part of it, the award. And it, what ended up happening is after the jury came back, the jury comes back with their award. That's just money. How They fill out the verdict sheet. They put the amount of money in, um, two million. And then later on, we go in for a little mini trial over damages, just over equitable relief that's handled after the jury verdict. The judge grant you know grants us some relief that the jury can't do that only a judge can do. Uh, what is the best advice you've ever gotten, and who gave it to you? Wow, this is tough. Mm. All right, here's a good piece of advice, and this is what I tell other other lawyers. And this is what a when I was somebody told me having no clients is better than having bad clients. So I agree with that. that one. You've heard that too. Uh, I have many a time. Yeah. And I guess, you know, like older lawyers will talk, our lawyers will talk about it um, in terms of case selection, you know, be care- case selection. It starts, you know, who do you let in the door? What's your ideal client? What do they look like? What do you look for? Uh, you know, we want to help everybody, but, but we can't. And not every case is a good case. I wish it was. And not every client is an ideal client. So, uh, this lawyer said, you know, it's better to have no clients than to have bad clients. And that's true. I agree. So tell uh, the viewers, pardon me, what type of cases your law firm handles? So we handle um, personal injury cases. So we gradually got out of other types of law that I used to do, real estate litigation, commercial litigation. We stopped doing those. We just focus now on personal injury. We only represent the plaintiff. Um, we handle workers' comp workers' compensation cases, some medical malpractice, although the medical malpractice, we co-counsel with another firm a lot of the time. And uh, we have seven lawyers here, and we handle cases in Maryland, Washington, D.C., and Virginia. Well, I like Virginia. I went to UVA. Oh, yeah, great school. So uh, with the workers' comp, are, do you have a company that you work with for Medicare set-asides? We do. I think we work with a company called Synergy. You work with them? Well, I don't practice. Oh, I thought you practiced for. Yeah, no, I'm still licensed. I'm actually putting a, in the retirement paperwork's in the next week. Uh, oh, good. I'm old enough to be your grandpa. <laughs> yeah, um, we work uh, synergy for Medicare set asides. Honestly, we don't see that too often, which well, is good. If you don't see that too often. You need to go back because uh, it's everywhere. Uh, there's a group that came out in the market that has the only one I've ever seen. It has AI. That properly sets it because if you use a company right now, what they're doing is to protect themselves over filling it by 30 to 40 percent. Yeah, they could be doing that, but which upsets your clients if they found out. Yeah. So, well, Synergy Settlement, they're pretty good on the East Coast. They're local in our area in Florida, too. I don't know what other states they're in, uh, but we we work with them. Does Maryland have PIP or did you all get rid of PIP? Nope, we've got PIP. So we are a, um, you look to the insurance policy first and PIP is, is usually in increments of 2,500 
And it's, you know, we're not a no-fault state, so we're not like New Jersey or New York. Although Washington, D.C. is a little different. Most people don't realize this, but in Washington, D.C., you can't, you have to make an election to either use your PIP first and forego pursuing a liability or personal injury case or forego PIP and just pursue the personal injury case. Well, is that true of being a resident or if you are a Maryland resident or a Florida resident, you get an accident in Washington, D.C.? Does it apply to your residency or where the accident occurs? Uh, I think it applies to your residency. Like, is it a D.C. policy? You know, that's what we always look at. Was it a policy written in D.C.? So if you're a Maryland resident, you live in Maryland and you're you drive into the District of Columbia and get into an accident in D.C., you don't have to worry about making that election or not. Are you seeing a big impact of the non-lawyer-owned firms in D.C. affecting your practice? None at all. None at all. You know, that's not new for us. That's new for the rest of the country. We've had this. Oh, no, I know you've had it like 20 years or some crazy. Yeah. You know, people always become interested in it from other parts of the country. And I get calls sometimes, hey, I'm not a lawyer. I've got a lot of money. I'm an investor. I want to be a partner in your firm or start a new firm. And, uh, you know, I have zero interest in that. Um, I know that there's a lot more activity because it's it's been allowed in Arizona now and maybe some other states. But no, in- Arizona is the only other state that allows it. Okay, well, Arizona, well, in D.C., so the whole reason this exists, has always existed in D.C., is because um, lobbyists want to be able to be partners in these big firms, you know, these giant mm-hmm. hundreds of lawyer law firms and, um, you know, want to be partners. And that's fine. I understand that they want to be they want to have an ownership interest in the firm. But what happened, uh, probably an unintended consequence well, at least in, in my world, the personal injury world, is you had personal injury lawyers had the ability to pay non-lawyers for doing different things, you know, like a runner to go get police reports and, you know, activity that I, I um, think is very bad for the profession that shouldn't be going on. This was fixed. This loophole was fixed a while back, but I think you had a period of time maybe in the 90s, where there was some mischief going on at more of the local level, like personal injury lawyers, maybe some other types of law where um, lawyers were splitting fees or paying paying fees to non-lawyers. And, and the the people who allowed that, I guarantee they didn't anticipate uh, that that would go on. Yes. So. so tell the audience here as we wrap up why your firm should be hired if they're in Maryland, D.C. or Virginia and get in an auto accident, a slip and fall, dog bite, et cetera, medical malpractice. Why should they hire you? Because we know the local landscape and personal injury law is very local. And I think we're our law firm's the perfect size. We're not too big. We're not a giant national firm that comes into an area and blankets it with billboards and commercials, but we're not a mom and pop or solo we have about 50 people, seven lawyers. All the lawyers here are excellent. We have a lot of trial experience and that helps cases get settled. And um, we have a, I like to call it a well-oiled machine and your case is going to receive the best kind of care. And we, we've invested a lot in technology, our software, and uh, some of the other stuff we use that allows, like we have a portal. Our clients will get invited to create login credentials and they'll have a portal to have access to a lot of their case file and to be able to communicate directly with the attorney and the paralegal that are assigned to work on their case, just messaging. And a lot of our clients use it. I don't know of any other firm. I'm sure there's other firms out there 
using something similar to what we have in our area, but I don't know who they are. I'm not aware of one. The clients really love it because they can communicate easily with us and get uh, answers and updates quickly. And we like it too, because they can stay informed. So. Fantastic. Well, folks, the Goldilocks Law Firm, getting the right, the, the right uh, attention, not too big, not too small, is why you should hire Mr. Malloy uh, if you're in Virginia, D.C. or Maryland. Thank you for appearing on the Case Closed podcast. Thank you, Max. Good to talk to you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and their insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast is led by industry experts who unlock insights from the nation's top contingency fee attorneys. Each week on the show, the guests share how they got started, secrets of their success, and what's working in today's marketplace. Guests on the Case Closed Podcast include successful contingency fee attorneys that will share their secrets so you can close more cases. Tune in each week for a dynamic conversation about winning legal strategies that will grow your business. 